The Pentateuch is filled with Christ. And there are various things that we could say about that still. But today, I just want to finish this particular aspect of our study, perusing the Pentateuch, by referring to one great type. And that is what is described here in Numbers chapter 35, also repeated largely in the book of Joshua chapter 20. And of course there are references to it in Deuteronomy chapter 19. The cities of refuge. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible speaks of the Lord's people as having fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that there is in Christ. You'll find that in Hebrews chapter 6 from verse 18 on that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie we might have a strong consolation listen who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast and which entereth into that within the veil whether the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Those words, who have fled for refuge, along with the reference to the high priest, remind us very much of what is recorded in Numbers chapter 35. And it would be my contention that the Apostle Paul had that in mind when he used that phrase who have fled for refuge. Where in the Bible do you have people fleeing for refuge? You have it in relation to this matter of the cities of refuge. What's the context? The land of Canaan, the promised land, had been possessed and largely subdued when we come to the book of Joshua chapter 20. The various tribes had received their inheritance that God had promised. And you could say that things were winding down as far as the conquest of Canaan was concerned, but there was still work to be done by Joshua and the people of Israel. So that when you go to Joshua chapter 20, and I'd like you to turn there for a moment, Joshua chapter 20, you'll see that this is relevant to what is found in the Pentateuch, because the Lord spoke to Joshua, and verse number 2 of Joshua 20 says, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses. So the Lord is reminding Joshua of what he had already said to Moses. He said, Here's something that I'm commanding you to do. And as you read down through this chapter 20 of Joshua, you'll see that this is a repetition of Numbers chapter 35 in the sense that six cities were named. Six cities along with 42 other cities that were to be given over to the Levites to be priestly cities. But those six in particular 
were to be appointed as cities of refuge. Now what was this all about? Well, these particular locations were to be made available to, to any person who had killed another person by accident. We would refer to this as a certain degree of manslaughter. You know how there's first degree murder, second degree murder, there's uh, manslaughter, there's, there's some lesser offenses in connection with that. Well, this is manslaughter, if you will. Someone guilty of that could flee. They could run away, having committed that particular act, even though it was an accident. Maybe they were chopping wood, and the axe head came off, and it hit someone and killed them. The person who was responsible for that could run away to one of these six cities, and find their safety and help. Refuge. Because you see, there was someone appointed as a manslayer. Someone who would be carrying out justice. Someone who would find the manslaughter person, someone who was guilty of manslaughter, and kill him lawfully if he was not within the confines of a city of refuge. So these cities of refuge, the six of them are named, were places that someone who had committed manslaughter could flee to for refuge. And in the cities of refuge, there is portrayed the salvation that is to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. I again refer you to Hebrews chapter 6 and to those words in verse 18. Those who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Fleeing for refuge to the Lord Jesus Christ. We sang this morning in one of our hymns, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. He's a place of refuge. Don't we read in the Psalms more than once about the Lord being our refuge? One of the most famous Psalms, one of the most beautiful Psalms, is Psalm 46. It begins, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. So there's wonderful typical teaching that is found in the cities of refuge concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that is to be found in Him. And that's the theme of our message today. And I have several really simple points to bring before you in regard to the cities of refuge as they speak of the Saviour. First of all, let's think about their purpose. Let's think about the purpose of these cities. Obviously, when you read the relevant portions of Scripture, Numbers 35, again, Deuteronomy chapter 19, Joshua chapter 20, it's very clear that those six locations were to be set apart as cities of refuge. That's what they were for. That was their purpose. There may have been other things about those cities that was notable. They may have had certain features that we could comment upon. But the main thing for us to think about is the purpose for which they were set apart. And what was that purpose? Well, it's stated clearly. They were to serve as a 
refuge. Places that were set up as a protection for somebody who had accidentally taken the life of another human being. We talked about the civil law of Israel when we described the fact that there's a threefold aspect to the law. There's the ceremonial law with the sacrificial system. There's the moral law, the Ten Commandments, which is for all time, for all peoples. And there's the civil law, which was for Israel. We have a system of law in our country. There are certain statutes regarding murder, first degree murder, second degree murder, various statutes about manslaughter and so on. The same is true of God's law for Israel. And so when the Lord gave that law to his people, he didn't make any provision for them to have, as we have, a police force. Every crime against society had to be dealt with really swiftly and in accordance with the nature of the offence. And this brings in some of the civil law that we mentioned in Exodus chapter 22. Uh, You see, for example, in the first five verses of Exodus 22, that if somebody stole someone else's property, they were required to make restitution. So if I stole an animal from your farm, I would have to give you the equivalent as restitution once I was making up for that crime that I had committed. Now there were provisions that involved giving more than the exact amount that you had taken. Remember what Zacchaeus did? Zacchaeus embezzled money. He was a tax collector from among the Jews, but he worked for the Romans. He was one of the most despised characters of the time. You wonder why you read in the New Testament about such opposition to Jesus having any fellowship or friendship with the publicans, with the tax collectors. They were the lowest on the totem pole as far as people's views of them were concerned. The only thing I could think of today that might be close to that would be, you know those traffic warden people, they're not policemen, but they do have the power to give you a ticket. And sometimes they're very, very um, loath to negotiate anything with you, even if you stop where you're not supposed to, just for a very short time, they'll give you a ticket. A lot of people don't like them. No, I used to have a very good friend, a Christian man, who was a traffic warden in the UK. And uh, he would agree with me. They were viewed by many people in society as the lowest of the low. They just didn't like them because they were doing their duty. But sometimes going a little beyond that. The tax collectors who worked for the Romans, were Jews themselves. But they were taking taxes off their own people, plus keeping back a lot besides. So they didn't just collect taxes, they collected taxes with interest. And they put the interest in their own pockets. That's what Zacchaeus did. That's why when he got converted, you can read about it in Luke chapter 19, he said, if I have taken anything by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Why did he say four times? Because that was what God's law stipulated. 
The Lord had laws about these things. You can read Exodus 21. You can read Exodus chapter 22. And you'll find that the punishments, unlike today's courts, the punishments were always designed to fit the crime. If the crime in question involved taking the life of another person, then the nearest relative, the kinsman of the one who had been killed, had the right to avenge the death of his relative. Now today that would be called vigilantism. But in God's law, this was permitted. And you can read about it in Numbers chapter 35 from verse 19 through to 21. Now God made a distinction between murder and manslaughter. So the person who took a life accidentally was able to run away, was able to flee to one of those six designated cities. And after it had been determined that the killing was accidental, he could find safety from that man called the Revenger of Blood. So these six cities were designed to serve as a refuge. So you would not lose your own life, having caused the death of another person accidentally. But they were also to serve as a reminder. And this is where we bring in the typology, because for us, these cities of refuge speak about something spiritual. They serve to point out to you and to me certain facts about the salvation that we enjoy in the Lord Jesus. Just as you had these cities where people could run to in a time of great and desperate need. So our Lord Jesus Christ is a place of safety for sinners that they might run to in their hour of need. And thank God there are those today we believe who have done that among us. You remember that day when you fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before you. You ran to Christ for salvation. You see, we have a problem. The problem is that we're born sinners. The Bible clearly articulates this doctrine everywhere. There are verses that you and I should know off by heart. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It means are constantly coming short of God's glory or His standard. That's our sinfulness. We learn in Romans 5 and verse 12 that by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men in that all have sinned. We know from Psalm 58 verse 3 that the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born speaking lies. We've got a problem right from the beginning. We're born with a sinful nature that we inherited from Adam our father. But not only that, we sin freely. Nobody forces us to sin. Nobody puts a gun to our head and says, you have to commit these sins. We choose to do it. And so we're guilty by nature, because we're born in sin, and we're guilty by practice, because we commit sin. And just like the sentence of death that was passed upon the manslayer here in the law of Moses, there's a sentence of death that has been passed upon you and upon me because of our sin. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. 
Or as it is in in the book of Ezekiel chapter 18, it mentions it twice. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. We're condemned to death. We're in the condemned cell, if you like. We're on death row as far as spiritual things are concerned. We're being pursued by the revenger of blood. But there is a place of refuge which is set before us that we might run into and find shelter and safety. Just as there was deliverance to be found in those cities mentioned here in Numbers 35 and nowhere else, by the way. Nowhere else. Just those six places that God had set apart. That was their purpose. So there is salvation to be found nowhere else and in no one else but the refuge of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only Savior. Salvation is in Him and in Him alone. It's not Christ plus works, it's Christ plus nothing that saves your soul. So in the purpose of these cities, there's a spiritual message. They were to serve as a refuge and they were to serve and do serve as a reminder to us of how Christ is our refuge. But let's think about the power of these cities. Think think of their power. These were six places designated by God. And there was a saving power associated with each of those places. When someone had accidentally killed someone, he had murdered someone else by accident, you might say. The manslayer, he's called. When he would arrive in that city of refuge, there was an immediate court case, if you like. His case came before the elders who were just like judges in those cities. Remember how when it speaks of Lot at Sodom, that he, was, he sat in the gate of Sodom. He was one of the elders. We find this in the book of Ruth as well. Where there were ten men who sat in the gate and the whole situation came before them regarding Boaz and the right to redeem that someone else had ahead of him. Those elders were the court, kind of like a supreme court in the city. And so when the manslayer came to the city of refuge, his case would immediately be heard by the elders. And if they determined that indeed the killing that he was responsible for had been accidental, he would be provided a place within the city and would be protected from the avenger of blood. So if the avenger of blood, the man who was to carry out the revenge, was outside the gate of the city and looking in and saying, that man there is guilty of murder, he couldn't touch him. He couldn't touch him. Because being inside that city allowed the manslayer to live who otherwise would have surely died. Such a clear picture of the gospel that, isn't it? So it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one. He is our city of refuge. The only one who can guarantee salvation to a guilty soul. You as a believer in Christ have been saved by grace. Not by works, by grace. Free, unmerited, undeserved favor 
from God. You've been saved by grace because you exercised faith in the finished work of Jesus that he performed at Calvary. Someone wrote a little song, Romans 10 and 9 is a favorite verse of mine. What a great verse it is. Romans chapter 10, verse number 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Great Bible word that, isn't it? Saved. I hate this nonsense about making a commitment. That's Billy Graham speak. It's a load of nonsense. Nothing to do with making commitments. People make commitments all the time and break their, break their word. People promise all sorts of things and never carry through. I'm not saved because of a commitment. I'm saved because I'm saved by Christ. Saved. See, saved is a word that suggests that it's nothing to do with you. It's to do with the one who performed the salvation. I fall into the water. Someone rescues me from the water. They get a life jacket for me and they go out there and they swim and they bring me to shore. I don't start talking about I saved myself. I made a commitment. No, I was saved. Someone did something for me that I couldn't do for myself. That's what it means to be saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you trust in Him, in other words, thou shalt be saved. He does the saving. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Then there's that wonderful verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, that blessed whosoever, that means me. There's no qualification in that verse. There's no ifs, ands, buts, or maybes in that verse. It's whosoever. That means anybody at all. That's the free offer of the gospel. That's the well-meant offer of the gospel. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not whosoever won't. It's whosoever will. And of course it is the Lord who makes us willing in the day of His power. Listen, the only protection any sinner can have from God's vengeance, from the manslayer, so to speak, is Christ who bore the wrath of God in the place of all those who would trust in Him. The purpose of these cities is clear. They were to serve as a refuge. They were to serve as a reminder of what Jesus does for us. And the power of these cities is clear. They had a saving power. Jesus is mighty to save. These cities also possessed a securing power. What do we mean by that? Well, as we read those verses in Numbers 35, it's clear that the message was, as long as a manslayer stayed within the confines of that city of refuge, he would be safe. 
As long as he remained within the walls of that city, whether it be Hebron or one of the others, he would be safe. Furthermore, he could live there as long as the high priest was alive. That's a really important point. As long as the high priest was living, the manslayer who had gone in there could live there. And when that priest died, the manslayer was free to return back to where he lived, back to his own home, without fear. Now what's the message here? When a sinful person such as you or I commits his soul to God and Christ for safekeeping, when he comes to the Lord Jesus for salvation, he enters in by faith, then he is secure from that point on. You know, there's a doctrine which is that you can be saved today but lost tomorrow. That the Lord could love you today, but tomorrow is a different story. You can have life today, but death tomorrow. But I don't find anywhere in my Bible, anywhere that it speaks of salvation other than in terms of eternal salvation. Did you ever notice that? It's always eternal. When Jesus gave the promise, it was half everlasting life. Half eternal life. Check it for yourself. I give unto my sheep eternal life. Now, if the Lord gives you eternal life, eternal life by definition cannot be temporary. You can't have eternal life one day and then have it snatched away the next day. Then it wouldn't be eternal, would it? How can you escape the conclusion of simple Words. Eternal life is eternal life. Unlike the one who went into the city of refuge, he could have left. He could have gone out of the city of refuge. Then he would not be protected anymore. But we will not leave and we cannot leave Christ once we're in Christ. John chapter 10 Verse 28 and 29, the words of our Lord Jesus, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Verse 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So there you are, they're in the hand of Christ. Next verse, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So every believer has a double security. He's in the hand of Christ and is in the hand of the Father. You can be in no safer hands than that. I know it's a very well-known story of the elderly lady on her deathbed was visited by a minister who was of the Arminian persuasion. A minister who believed that you could be saved and lost. So he wanted to check up and make sure that this old dear was truly still saved. Even though she had professed to be saved for years, he wanted to make sure she still had the goods, lest she go out into eternity lost. And so he, he said to her, now dear, are you saved? She said, yes, I'm saved. Of course I'm saved. I've been saved for however many years. 
And she said, I have the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ that I'm in His hand and He's never going to let me go out of His hand. And the old clever minister said, yes dear, but you could slip through His fingers. She said, don't be stupid man. I am one of His fingers. Because I'm a member of the body of Christ. There's going to be no amputations. The Lord's not going to cut off part of His body. No, I give unto my sheep eternal life. Believing in Christ who is our great high priest, who ever lives, will never be condemned. We're safe in the refuge of Christ Jesus if we're believing in Him. Because as long as He lives, we shall never die. What a wonderful truth that is. And what does the Bible say about Him? He ever liveth. To make intercession for them. What did the Lord say to John in Revelation chapter 1? I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive. How long? Forevermore. I am alive forevermore. Here's a priest who will never die. Therefore there's no leaving the city of refuge. We're safe and secure in Christ. Listen to these beautiful words in that series of questions posed by Paul in Romans 8. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Then you have these questions. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And then, the crowning words, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There's a whole list of things that you might think are possibilities for getting you away from the Lord. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. No, he says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You'll never be expelled from the city of refuge. Safe in the arms of Jesus. Safe on His gentle breast. Thereby His love o'ershaded sweetly my soul shall rest. Jesus, my heart's dear refuge. Jesus has died for me. Listen, there's a securing power in Christ, just like there was in these cities. And obviously, the power of these cities was sufficient. It was a sufficient power. We never read in the Old Testament that any of the cities of refuge let someone down who fled there. There was never one instance of someone going to a city of refuge and being told, no, you can't come in here. 
And it is interesting to, if you get a Bible map, and they're there in your Bible for a reason, you can check certain things on those Bible maps, locations of certain things. You can tell how far people traveled, the journeys of Paul, just what was involved in all of that, going to those various cities and, and so forth. But when you read in a Bible map, or you see on a Bible map, the locations of these six cities of refuge, they were strategically placed. And we'll come back to that in a moment or two. But not one of them was lacking or insufficient to meet the situation of any person who went there. In other words, there was deliverance, there was refuge, there was safety for anyone who would seek it. Isn't that the message of the gospel again today? Our Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient to save those who come to him. Our dear friend, who's now with the Lord, Archie Martin, used to like to sing solos. And one of the songs that he liked to sing at the, uh, 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 very regularly was, There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. And there is, friend. Maybe there's someone watching this broadcast today and you're thinking, well, I don't think the Lord could save me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what my life has been like. I think I'm too far gone for the Lord to save. Listen, the Apostle Paul, the former Saul of Tarsus said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Think about that. I'm the head honcho. I'm the worst sinner that ever walked the face of the earth. And by the way, it's not was of whom I am chief. He still felt himself to be like that. Spiritual man. But he was trusting in Christ who does not turn any sinner away who seeks him. He's a saviour for all comers. His power to save is beyond limitation. We could talk about limited atonement. We could speak about that great doctrine. But let me tell you, there's no limitation in the power of Christ to save. No limitation in the power of Christ to save. There's never been a person, there never will be a person who ever truly sought for God's salvation who was ever told there's no room for you. There is no such person. Because the Lord has told us in His own word that His power to save is beyond limitation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To who? To everyone that believeth. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The last invitation in the Bible is a most beautiful one. In Revelation 22 and verse 17. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. There's the voice of the Holy Spirit and there's the voice of the church, the bride. One voice telling sinners to come. And let him that heareth say come. And let him that is a thirst come. Look at it. And whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. 
Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Whosoever will, whosoever will, send the proclamation over vale and hill. Tis the loving Father calls the wanderer home. Whosoever will, may come. Oh, there's a sufficient power to deliver. Let's quickly look at the positioning of these cities. Six locations chosen out by God to be places of refuge. They were in strategic areas of the land, as I pointed out. There were six cities, and they were placed on both sides of the Jordan River. There were three cities on the east side, and three on the west side. And you can check that on a Bible map. And hence we can say, they were available to all. And that's the point that I've been making in this message all the way along. There was a deliberate placement of these cities that meant that they were conveniently located. All the tribes of Israel had equal access. There was no tribe of Israel that was far away from a city of refuge. That's how the Lord placed them. No matter who the man was, didn't matter where he was from, didn't matter what tribe he healed from, he could very swiftly make his way to a city of refuge. And we see pointed out that whether he was a son or simply a stranger in the land, there was a city of refuge that was open to him. Is that not a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? Just as the cities of refuge were available to all and to any who would seek shelter therein, so it is with Christ. Isaiah said, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And I love that phrase, he will abundantly pardon. You know what it means? It means he will pile pardon on top of pardon. There is no limit to the pardoning grace of God. The Lord Jesus in his ministry said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In John 10 verse 9, he spoke about the sheep. And he said, I am the door. By me, if who? Any man enter in, he shall be saved. Any man could seek refuge. As long as that man was deemed to be a manslayer, he could come. If he was guilty. That's what the Lord's looking for today. A confession of guilt. I am the man. I am a sinner. I hold up my hands. I'm not going to deny it. I'm a filthy, rotten, condemned sinner. But I know that Jesus will receive me. These cities were deliberately positioned because they were available to all. They were accessible to all. Remember how Paul said in Athens that God is not far from every one of us. Romans 10 verse 8. Paul actually makes a quotation from Deuteronomy. It's wonderful to see how the various parts of the Bible fit together. In the book of Deuteronomy it says the word is nigh thee. And Paul uses that very term in Romans 10 verse 8. The word is nigh thee. 
It's near to you. It's accessible. Think of these cities of refuge. Conveniently positioned. Each city within reach, easy reach of any person. But also, and this is very important, conspicuously placed. If you look at those cities and examine what God said about them, they were all in prominent places. Mostly on the top of mountains. Now why do you think that was? Why would the city of refuge be in a high place, in a mountainous region? Because people could see them from a good distance away. They were on high ground. They were lifted up. And again it reminds us of our Lord Jesus Christ. They were cities as well that were very certainly prepared. The roads that were around leading to those places were always kept clear. You read the scripture you'll find that that is pointed out. There were no blockages. There were no obstacles on those roads. They were not allowed to have barricades on those roads. They had to be kept clear. And not only that, in each city of refuge, do you know that the gates were kept open? The gates were kept open. The entrances were never closed any time of the day or night. They were always prepared to accept a man slayer who would run in there. What a wonderful type of the gospel that is. Say, brother, I'm, I'm too late. I'm, I'm too late to be saved. It's too late for me. How is it too late when you're still in the land of the living? You're not in, you're not in eternity yet. You're here. It's not too late. I'll tell you as well, it's never too early to come to Christ. What a wonderful thing it is to see a child professing salvation and going on with God. You're not too young to come to Jesus. But you're never too old either. I think I may have shared this with you in the past. My brother-in-law was born to elderly parents. Uh, They were more like his grandparents when he was born. He was a wee late one. And his father lived into his mid-90s. And his father was an old shepherd abiding in a very rural part of Northern Ireland. and He was dying. And one of our pastors was asked by my brother-in-law to go and visit his dad. Speak to him about the things of God. And my brother-in-law's father, when he was challenged by the minister, Are you saved? Have you ever come to know Christ? And his answer was somewhat amusing. He said, well, these are the sort of things you need to really take your time with. He said, you don't want to rush those things. Here he is, he's 95. He's got one foot in the grave and the other one on a banana peel. And he's worried about it still being plenty of time. Well, that minister urged him to come to Christ and as far as I know that old man came to the Lord and he sought the Lord on his deathbed you could say at the 11th hour 
At 11.59, he came to Christ. But isn't that just like the dying thief? The thief's on the cross. One thief was never saved. Same privileges, same opportunities, same deathbed, was never saved. But this man, he turned from being a hater and a reviler of Christ to being one who said, Lord, Lord, remember me when I comest into thy kingdom. He knew Jesus was a king. He believed that saying, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Here he is. He's about to expire. And the Lord Jesus says, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Today. Not some future time. Or not you'll have to get down off the cross and get baptized. You'll have to do some good works. You'll have to go to confession. You'll have to do this. You'll have to do that. No. He said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And I look forward someday to meeting the dying thief in glory. What a day that will be when we see the redeemed of all ages, including that man who came in at the eleventh hour. Listen, the entrances to the gates were never closed at the cities of refuge. And they were clearly posted. The Hebrew word miklot, miklot, was on the signpost written to set up the way to the cities of refuge. When you came across that sign, Miklat, that word signifies in English refuge. This is the way to the refuge. It was clearly marked out for those who would need to flee there for shelter. You wouldn't want to make a mistake if the manslayer is pretty close to you. You needed to get to the city of refuge. You want to make sure you've got clear directions. And what a portrayal we have in these things of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no barrier on the road. There's no impediments on the highway. There's nothing to stop sinners coming to the refuge. The only thing that's stopping them is their own willfulness, their own stubbornness and their own rebellion. That's what stops them from getting into the refuge. Oh, our Lord, like these cities of refuge, He's always available and He is ready to save those that come unto Him. Isn't that what it says there in Nehemiah? He is a God ready to pardon. He's ready to pardon. The way to be saved is clearly marked out in the Scripture, isn't it? Very simple. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's through Jesus. And all that God's people... We, who are saved, and ministers of the gospel, would be faithful signposts to Jesus. I want people to see in my ministry, Miklat, refuge. There's the place that you can be saved. That's how you can know that you're a child of God. That's how you can know that you're ready for heaven. Isn't that the kind of minister John the Baptist was? Jesus comes walking along and John stops what he's doing and he says to the people, Behold, look, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He pointed men to Jesus, not to himself, but to Christ. And there's finally what I want to call the picture in these cities. That's what we've been really bringing out in this message. We have here that which is typical of tremendous spiritual truth. 
The gospel is so beautifully illustrated in the cities of refuge. There's a picture of the gospel even in the very names. Let's just think about this. The first name is Kadesh. Kadesh means holiness or righteousness. Doesn't that speak of Christ? Thy holy child Jesus, one who knew no sin, who had no sin, who did no sin, who was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. Kadesh, holiness, righteousness. Christ is made unto us righteousness. And then there's Shechem. That's another city. It means shoulder. In the book of Isaiah, it talks about the government shall be upon his shoulder. When we read of the sheep that was lost being brought back home, how was he brought home? On his shoulders, rejoicing. Shechem. He bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. He bore the burden of our sin. Then there's Hebron. When we were in Scotland, we bought a little building that used to be owned by the brethren. It used to be known as Hebron Hall. And I thought, what a lovely name Hebron is. Let's keep that. And even before the church in Balamone stole the name for their church and called it Hebron Free Presbyterian Church, we had it first in the church in Rutherglen in Scotland. That's the first Hebron Free Presbyterian Church. Just don't forget that. You know what it means? Hebron, it means fellowship or company or companionship. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. God with us and us with God. Hebron, through Christ alone we have fellowship with God, access to God. Then there's the the city known as Bezer, B-E-Z-E-R. It means strong or a fortification. Bezer was really a fortress. Oh, we read this in the Psalms, don't we? That Christ is our strong tower. He's our rock. We sang about it this morning. Jesus is a rock in a weary land. You get that from Isaiah chapter 32, verse 2. Psalm 18, verse 2. That used to be the verse that was signed on the Bible by Dr. Bob Jones Jr. when he was signing your Bible. He would always sign it. Psalm 18, verse 2. What does it say in that psalm? Well, I'll get it right by looking it up. I should know it off by heart. But I'll not trust myself today. Here's what it says. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Look at the personal pronoun all the way through there. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. He's my Savior. He's my place of safety. He's my strong tower. He's my rock. Bezer. And then there's Ramoth. That means heights or exalted or high. Christ is the day spring from on high. God is the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. And furthermore, of Christ, the Bible says, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every other name. He is the equivalent of Ramoth. And then there's Golan. Haven't you heard in the news many a time about the Golan Heights? In Israel, where there's trouble, 
There's always conflict. Golan. The Golan Heights. Golan is a word that means manifestation or circle. Or it could even be translated as joy. When we think about the circle or the manifestation, it speaks to us of the deity of Christ. He's both God and man. In him there dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's the manifestation of God. He is God manifest in flesh. And he is our source of joy, isn't he? There's a picture of these in these cities. In their, in their necessity. They were needful. They were needful. There were many who would have most certainly died but for the safety provided in the cities of refuge. And the Lord is a refuge for us. And there's a picture, of course, in the nature of these cities. We started here. They're places of refuge. It's in the names. And that really speaks of the love of God in choosing out for sinners a place of safety and the grace of God in providing that place in the person and work of His Son. The cities of refuge portray our Lord Jesus and His great salvation because the guilty slayer, when he reached a, a city of refuge and was received inside the walls of that city, was safe. The point is there was salvation once he took the step and entered in. Once within the walls, the revenger or the avenger of blood could not touch him. And according to the law, the guilty party was once inside the city. When he was once inside the city, he could remain there until the high priest died. In other words, what we're saying is that the, the high priest's life guaranteed the life of the manslayer. Isn't that Christ? Isn't that Christ? He will never die. He's our great high priest and here's the thing that we want to close with the word whosoever is actually used in Numbers 35 15 and Joshua 20 verse 9 whosoever again we're back to the free offer of the gospel but again it needs to be noted the refuge the safety provided in those cities was to be sought quickly. The slayer had to flee. That's the word, flee. That means to run quickly and not die. Because delay in getting to that city of refuge would mean certain death. And so there's an urgency in the gospel, isn't there? No, don't wait. Don't be thinking, like the old man I referred to, there's plenty of time. You may never get to your deathbed. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. May each of us have the assurance that we've fled for refuge to the Lord Jesus.